She left the security of a successful career to train missionaries and Bible workers and start a school. This is a lady who knows what it means to take a step of faith. She's Mary Nell Ellingson, and I'm John Bradshaw, and this is our conversation. Mary Nell, thanks so much for being here. I'm glad you've joined me today. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So you've taken a step of faith. I mean, that step, that was way back. Since then, it's been many steps of faith. In brief, we'll examine this in greater detail. What are you doing today? Today, I am the principal and the director of Mission Creek Outreach Services. And at Mission Creek, we have several ministries. One is a um, school for students that are local students that um, come to us for four-day programming. And then we also are doing a program in lifestyle ministry. We have a lifestyle retreat center, and we do tools for overcoming depression there. And we also do um, lifestyle ministry. Um, in addition to that, we have just begun a really new, exciting ministry called Immersed. And this is a Bible worker training program that we're really excited about. We started with our first two um, Bible workers, and we are going to, we're really excited to um, work with people that can share the love of Jesus. Hey, I find this interesting because here's what I know about you. You did not begin your career as an expert medical missionary. No. But you're training them today. You did not begin uh, uh, as an expert Bible worker. No. But you're training Bible workers today. You, d- you didn't start um, uh, running schools, but you're running one today. So, so between then and now, God has done some amazing things. So let's go back. You're currently located in southwest Washington yes. State, near yes. the Washington coast. But anyone who hears you speak is going to say, you don't sound like you're from around here. So where'd you get started? Well, I got started in North Carolina. All right. And actually, I got started in Dobson, North Carolina. Where is that? Dobson, North Carolina is... Uh, close to Mount Airy, okay. North Carolina. Mount Airy, mm-hmm. Andy Griffith. Exactly. Yeah, right and there. So in that area, um, when I was um, born into a family that uh, didn't end up quite on the right track. Okay. Um, my parents were divorced when I was five, six years old, and had a lot of trauma in the family. Uh, with my mother being a registered pharmacist and got... Uh, into uh, drug addiction, and which probably created the mental illness. And then my dad ended up raising uh, the four children and remarrying someone with three children. Oh, wow. And, you know, back in the day, they had the Brady Bunch yeah, on sure. TV. It wasn't a Brady Bunch. It was a wild, crazy uh, thing going on there in our home. And it really started, the Mission Creek uh, story, I think, John, started when my dad stepped out to teach us in a devotional worship experience every night about, um, really about service and about desiring truth. So, So for those years, it was your dad raising the kids? Yes. 
he was a, he was a strong practicing Christian. You had a, a, a well, real church connection. What? Well, he wasn't really a strong practicing Christian. We went to the Methodist church on Sundays, and uh, he. And when we say we weren't really raised in a Christian home, even though we had worship every night. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? I don't know if I know a family quite like that. Somehow the Lord led him to understand the importance of the Word, because we had Bible stories, of the Lord's Prayer. We said that every night, and of hearing a welfare story, because he was a social worker. And so he did these experiences with us. Yeah, hang on a second. Yeah. You, you do a Bible story. Yes. And a welfare story. Yes. Really quickly, what might that have been, for okay, example? Okay, well, he was a social worker, so yeah. he would tell us about what he did during the day. Went out to see Barbara Blaylock, and they didn't have water or food, and this was the condition of the situation. And then we would always say, Daddy, what would you do? And I learned so much wisdom at the foot of my father because I believed that he would choose to do the true thing, the right thing. Hey, isn't this interesting? So he was instilling Christian principles, biblical principles, and even though he he, he wasn't the strongest Christian in the world. But he was clearly intentional about a couple of things. One was gathering the family together. Uh, one was that the, the, the Bible teaching, but the, that other, that third thing he was intentional about was sharing with you life lessons of service. I find that really interesting, it particularly was. as now you stepped out of a successful career to 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 serve, sure. to run a little institution that is serving people. Sure. That goes all the way back to your dad telling it you those welfare stories, doesn't it? Definitely does. Family is critical in situations like this. And now, three of the children chose not to join, uh, and. Three chose to join, one passed away, and so the three that chose to join are strong Seventh-day Adventist Christians today, myself and and my two biological sisters. The three stepchildren did not, nor did my stepmother, and my all three of the stepchildren died early, had lifestyle practice challenges with, you know, liver cancer, uh, lung cancer and heart disease. And so they didn't get the benefit. And I find it's a tremendous contrast when you look at the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we didn't really know principles, Christian principles per se, about standards or anything like that. We, you know, raised kind of on the streets at the YMCA, you know, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And had boyfriends and got into, you know, drinking and drugs and things like that uh, as teenagers. And, you know, we kind of raised ourselves a little bit, even though my dad was a strong, principled man. It's a very different situation. Yeah, fascinating. Hey, somewhere along the line, you guys somehow straightened up and found Jesus. How'd that happen? Well, or should I say, found Jesus and straightened up. How, what happened? Well, there? you know, even though I didn't have Jesus, I was really into progressing forward, career-wise, uh, economically, those kinds of things. And uh, I went to an Amway rally. Now okay. you can find the Lord anywhere. Okay, you're so, about to prove that, aren't you? Yes, yeah. I was way up in the top balcony at an Amway rally. 
because I wanted to do this thing right. You know, I, I went direct and I had some people in the business. And so they said, well, you need to go to a Sunday morning service. And I thought, well, I haven't been to church or a Sunday morning service in, you know, uh, 12 years, 15 years, whatever. It'd been a while, you know. And so I thought, but if this is what you do to grow this business and this is what the leadership says do, I'll go to a Sunday morning service. So there was a guy named Paul Miller, and he was a triple diamond, you know. The high <laughs> achiever. So, oh, definitely. And he was having the Sunday morning service. And he said something that impressed me that I never forgot and changed the total course of my life, and I never went back. What was that? What did he say? What he said is it will never matter in your life how much money you make. You know, in the Amway, I'm thinking, he's yeah, well, telling me this. Yeah, that's what matters. How successful you are, what kind of a um, future you have if you do not have Jesus Christ in your life. Nothing matters. It cut me to the core. I started from that top seat, way in the corner, down one step at a time, up in the very corner of the balcony, because I wasn't really into this. And I walked all the way down to the very beginning when they did the altar call, the very front of that um, stadium, and gave my heart to Jesus right there. I never took my heart back. I mean, I haven't lived a perfect life for sure, and there have been ups and downs in my experience. But you never changed your mind. I never changed my mind, and I never turned back from uh, a search for the truth and for Jesus. And it went back to my dad having a quest for the truth as I was a child. He wanted to do the right thing. He just didn't really know a lot of the things that he then came to learn because then I studied with him and he became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian as well. And then with my younger sister, she became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, my stepmother, and uh, my biological mother became, and well, none of us were raised. So, so you were living in North Carolina at the time? Yes. Still there in North Carolina? Yes, I was still there in North Carolina. I lived in Charlotte and was doing, you know, teacher center projects and that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and doing, began to get into administration in education there. So let's talk about how you progressed in your career. Today you run a an institute, a, a training mm-hmm. center. Sure. Uh, but you were really set up for that by God. Who, who, I was. Led you all, all kind of professional directions. He did. So where did you where did you venture forth professionally? What did you, so I imagine you went to high school like everybody else. You said, sure. "I got to go to college now. I'm right. going to." Well, what started out, I wanted to do what I thought would please people. And so I started into nursing school, which really was not my thing. No, it wasn't I, you. No, I enjoyed the boyfriends and I liked the, I was into the partying life. And so I went to uh, Cabarrus Memorial School of Nursing. You know. Man, I know Cabarrus area. County like the back of my head. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I lasted there about 10 weeks. Oh, yeah. And so then my father, he had set me up for all of this for the whole year, pinafore, pen, lab coats and the whole thing, all the books. And I was, um, it was Sunday night, time for me to go back to school. I went over to the wall phone, you know, the cords about like this, you uh-huh. get up there. And I called the director of nursing. I said, I won't be coming back to 
school. My father didn't know this, and he was eating his ice cream at the table, and he dropped his bowl, and he said to me, after I hung up the phone, he said, well, you will be going to work tomorrow. And so I got a job at Eckerd's Drugstore. Yes. And then I, uh, and my cash register wouldn't check up right because I would visit with my friends in line. And, and so after two times of being called in the office, I think they believed I was stealing money. Uh-oh. Uh, I decided I need to be in something where I can be trusted. You know, I don't like this. And so from there, I had, um, babysat for a Down syndrome child as a child. I had a heart. My dad kind of had that heart for what he said, the least of these, you know. And so I decided to go to Appalachian State University and um, major in special education. And so I got my bachelor's from there, started uh, teaching in in, um, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina and um, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools yeah. and worked as a, a special education teacher and then began uh, doing consulting work, a, a consulting teacher within uh, special education and then went into a teacher center project that created an opportunity for me to go around the United States to learn the best teaching techniques and opportunity, what would create the greatest learning opportunities for children? And I did that for a few years, which then began to really change things up for me. And and how how was that? Well, in the course of that, uh, I was sent to um, San Francisco. This was in like 79 uh, to do a teacher training. And my sister wanted to go with me. And so Livy uh, went with me to uh, um, California, and we were partying, and we were living the wildlife. This was before my conversion. And um, so during the course of that, in a bar in Sausalito, California, we met Hal Gates. Hal Gates was a wild, crazy man. At that time? At that time. And my sister, on the plane, coming back from California, she said, I'm going to quit my job, sell my Pinto station wagon. She was a special ed teacher, too. Oh, yeah? And I'm going to move to Washington State because he happened to be in California to visit his daughter. Now, he's a lot older than my sister, and... Uh, you know, not a person that I would just say, what a great idea. I said, you are crazy. This is not a good idea. So she came home, decided that was the thing she was going to do. My dad was just up the roof. So he had to, when she did this, she followed through in January. She moved out to Washington State to be with Hal Gates, who at that time was dropped out of society he was living the bum life in um, Yellow Island in the San Juans, <laughs> and so what a, what a oh, crazy just a story, crazy thing. Yeah, and so to make a long story short, they just had the rockiest relationship ever. And one day, my sister said, "We have got to do something. We need to go to church. We need to go to church." Just like that. Yeah, just like that. And Hal said, 
I'm not going to any church unless it's a peanut eater's church. She said, what in the world's that? She said, oh, they go on the funny day. They go on Saturday, and a lot of them don't eat meat. And, and she said, I don't care about any of that. See, we were raised to have other principles embedded in there. And so he said, uh, she said, well, we just need to go somewhere. He said, well... If you have to go, then we'll go here. And it was Little Friday Harbor Seventh-day Adventist Church. They went there. They were gone to camp meeting. And so Hal was off the hook. He said, we don't have to go back. This is it. I met my commitment. She said, it didn't count. We're going next week. And so they went in the next week. He went in, shorts, uh, high, out of, you know, not in good shape. And uh, sitting on the back pew, getting his time in, right? Yeah. And so uh, they loved him all the way to the front of that church. He never missed another Sabbath. And you know the rest of the story. Hal Gates has been in 35 countries, winning souls for the Lord, you know, thousands of souls for the Lord. And that's how I came into this whole situation with being in Washington, moving from North Carolina, because they... Uh, encouraged me, and they thought, I'm sure they thought, they prayed for me all the time because I was still really worldly and after the career and after the financial thing. And uh, I studied with a lady named Lorraine Hansen that lives in Hendersonville that I hope to be able to see on my way back. And she uh, did Bible studies with me. I came into uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church And at that time, I was studying also with a person that I had been engaged to for five years. And the Lord just uh, impressed me in a dream one night. It was a nightmare. You have the wrong man. Wow. You have the wrong man. And so I... uh, had became an, uh, an Adventist Christian... And uh, so I wanted to follow the Lord. If this isn't the right man, who is? And so uh, Livy and Hal were calling me. You know, he was a become, he was a lay pastor by then at the Raymond Church, uh, Willapa Harbor. And I know it well. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> and he's uh, so he said, you need to meet this man that is a head elder in our church. His name is Galen Ellingson. And I was just coming off of this relationship with this guy that wasn't the one. And I was kind of curious, but I thought, well, they've been out here for five years and I've never been to Washington. I need to go. And you know what, John? I went out there. I met Galen. No, uh, didn't have any uh, um, connection there. I thought, no, that's not the one for me. And you know what happened? I'd love to it's know. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This is power. Everybody has the option for access in this Holy Spirit. We're going to take a break. Okay. But, Sounds good. And, and you'll tell the story on the other side, and then we're going to talk all about Mission Creek. Yes. But what I'll say is this. What a wild story. <laughs> Isn't God amazing? How he reaches into all this crazy stuff going on. He says, i got a plan for you guys. Absolutely. i got a plan for you. And he'll take the least likely people and say, I've got, I've got, I'm going to put you in ministry out he on the front does. lines. He does it. And that's what he did with you. We'll find out more in just a moment. She's Mary Nell Ellingson. I'm John Bradshaw. 
This is our conversation brought to you by It Is Written. It was 1882 in Western North Carolina when 19 men and boys drowned in the Tuckasegee River in what was a terrible accident. It was an accident that should never have happened. In post-slavery America, the men, like so many others, had been leased to the state as cheap labor. Convict leasing existed in the United States for decades. The practice calling into question our notions of freedom. Don't miss Free Indeed, filmed on location in North Carolina. As we look into the subject of freedom and ask the question, are you really free? Find out where true freedom can be found and learn that you don't have to be a slave to the old life. Watch Free Indeed on It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Mary Nell Ellingson, who directs Mission Creek Outreach Services. We're going to find out a whole lot more about what they're doing in just a moment. But first, you met the man who's now your husband. Yes. And you walked away from that saying, he's not the guy for me. Yes. What were you thinking? Well, I just thought that it just didn't look like what I had in mind for a, a partner. But the Lord had impressed on me that I should not get married unless I could find someone that would be a partner in doing his work, that I needed to be able to do more work with a person Amen. than uh, without. If it couldn't meet that criteria, marriage wasn't for me. And so when I saw Galen, I just didn't get that sense. But that very day that I didn't get the sense, Here's Livy and Hal. They've got the Bible studies going in the community. So they've got this big group of maybe 15 people that they're studying with in the community. And so we're kneeling together in prayer. And the Holy Spirit came upon me when Galen was praying. And the most amazing thing happened, John. When I opened my eyes... I saw a different man. It was just an amazing thing. And God impressed upon me when Galen prayed, this man knows me. Amen. This man is like-minded. Amen. This man you can partner with in ministry. I opened my eyes and I saw the man that I wanted to be with, period. Fantastic. And that was the end of the story. From that point, then the Lord developed the relationship between us, and that began our ministry together. Fantastic. So there you were living in North Carolina. Yes. Next minute, you're living in the state of Washington. Mission Creek begins to develop. Let's talk about that. Okay. Well, the reason that we ended up on the property that we're currently on called Mission Creek is because when I moved to Washington, I continued my career as a school district administrator, and that took us to um, Shelton, Washington. And so I was uh, hired to be uh, the director of special services for Shelton School District in Mason County Cooperative. 
And so at that time, there was a little boy that was, I find it really interesting because there were three different districts that I was thinking about joining. I had an offer in Olympia, which would have been an offer that you would think, well, maybe preferable to Shelton. And then there was one in Bremerton. And God just said, they need you in Shelton. I could tell by the interview that there was stuff going on that I felt like uh, through God's power could be reconciled. And so the Lord kept pushing me toward Shelton. Well, the reason was a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed, eight-year-old boy named Gary. And so uh, I got a call as a special ed director that said, uh, there's this child in our program, and uh, he doesn't have anywhere to go home tonight. And it was Thanksgiving, Wednesday, uh, before Thanksgiving. And I'm thinking at the time, well, I'm not social services. I'm not real sure why you're calling me. But yet, I felt like I should be part of the solution. She said, I'll take him tonight, but I really can't have him for Thanksgiving. I said, well, we're going back to South Bend, to Raymond. Um, tomorrow morning. So you keep him tonight. We'll pick him up on Thanksgiving morning, and then we'll take him back to school on Monday morning. Well, to make a very long story short, that child became ours. And uh, Galen uh, said, let's take him. And we, uh, he was in a situation that was abandonment. And so uh, that he became our child, and he had lots of challenges. Yeah, you know, yeah. He was identified conduct disorder and had all of these things. And I knew professionally what I was in for, but I didn't. God covered all of that. And in my heart, I thought, love will cure everything. Well, what happened was he uh, had a lot of challenges. I knew that we needed to raise him in the country. So one day, Galen saw a um, he saw a uh, uh, advertisement in our local paper, and we were really looking for a place that had property. And so, because he was a runner, and he'd go get into the neighbor's stuff, and he had problems with honesty and <laughs> all kinds of things. And so, uh, Galen saw that piece of property. Said that was a Boy Scout camp that I used to go to as a child. Oh, I, I know that place. It said secluded cabin on Creek. So it was a 40-acre piece. It was absolutely gorgeous. We went out there, and we said, this is where we need to be. We moved into a little cabin, probably 300, uh, probably 300 square feet, and uh, all of that happened because I chose to resign my uh, position in Shelton as a special ed director with maybe 400 children I was responsible for the administration of and a staff of 80 because God called me to homeschool my son. He wasn't successful in public school. He wasn't successful in church school. And the Lord put on my heart you need to leave this, and you need to go for the one. And I knew nobody else was applying for that job, John, but they would apply for the job in Shelton. They'd stand in line for that administrative work. 
but they weren't going to stand in line to be the mother and the homeschooler of a child in the backwoods of South Bend on a 40-acre plot in a little 300-square-foot trailer. I mean, not trailer, but cabin. That was an amazing step of faith. You had a successful career. Sure. You had a lot of responsibility. Yes. The only direction you were going in your career was up. That's right. Who knows where the ceiling was. Yes. You walked away from all of that. God calls. Yeah, but, but let me push back. You don't have to follow. Exactly. But you know what I've learned? And sometimes I follow not because I want to, but because I know it's the right thing to do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. I knew that when uh, I had adopted Gary, I knew that it probably wasn't something I really wanted to do, but I knew God had called me to it. And I knew that ultimately that he was going to work it together for good. Hey, and, and this is a thing, too. People wrestle with that. Um, I feel God calling, but it doesn't work for me right now. Or it doesn't yeah. meet my circumstances yeah, or, it, exactly. or it might cost me something. Those are real. Those are real world issues. Yeah. But hey, when God calls you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I said a moment ago, you don't have to. But I mean, what option do you have if you love God and you want his will to be done? Right? You have to follow him. Because you, you, you know, if you don't follow him, your life is not going to work. And there is no, he takes away the excuses. There, we had financial. Neither of us were employed when we went to the backwoods of South Bend. Uh, we had, I mean, all of our security, every, our home, everything. And we were not in financial. We didn't have any of those challenges before. Right. And so, uh, though God put it, made it so clear for us that this was our responsibility, he used that child to open up this ministry. And that child did not choose to follow the Lord. He was an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. He spent time in jail. He was really, uh, he, he really had a ton of baggage and trouble. And you know, he didn't respond to everything that we did in order to try to move him in a different direction. And I would, I understand how more about how it is with God when he sees us go astray. But you know what? He would not change us for anybody else that was walking the right way. Because when people ask me, well, if you knew what you know now, would you still have chosen that child? Or would you have gotten a child that would have followed the way, been part of the ministry? I would have never. God gave me a love. I prayed for that love because I couldn't deal with it. Without that love, God, you give me this kid. He's making my life miserable. He's miserable. Galen's hanging in there better than any of us. And he kept saying, the boy stays, you know, when I had a tough time with it. But you know what? I found out that if I prayed, I said, God, you got me into this mess. And you're going to have to be the one that gives me the love because I cannot create it in my human sinful heart. You've got to give me something I do not have. So it's your job to do that. And you know what he did, John? He gave me a miraculous love beyond any biological kid I could have ever had for that child that created a desire to put him at the front. That was our ministry. Yeah, you're right, too, about the lesson about the love that God has for, for children, that he, he, he wouldn't switch you out for anybody, would he? Exactly. And I would never have taken the, the most perfect kid and had that be 
the child for me. And he had an early death at 37 years old, which was just critical in my life. It really, it's just been five years ago. And yet the lessons I learned from that child will take me through eternity. Mm. Incredible, incredible lessons. So that's how we ended up at Mission Creek. Yeah, so, so, so far you're on a property. You have one, you have one student. Yes. Not today. You've got a thriving ministry, and, and it's multifaceted. Yes. So how did this grow? How did it grow? Well, the, actually, Gary was the first. The next student before we were officially in ministry was my mother. Oh, and tell me about that. I told you how the family split and so forth. Well, my stepfather died, and my mother was in pretty, pretty poor critical shape. Uh, health-wise, otherwise. And so uh, between my sister Ellen and I, we were working to have a home for my mother with us. And so she was with Ellen, and then she came out to stay with me at the property there. And she's not one that likes change. So she wanted to stay. She didn't want to go back and forth, which is the plan we had. And you know what? That was the best years of her life. She was there for 17 years. Oh, really? She got off of the drugs that she was on. She, her life in Christ became vibrant and real. She learned to bake bread, make soup, harvest the garden, do all of those things. And she became the granny of Mission Creek. Fantastic. So that... Gary, my mother, and then the next step in our ministry was my sister decided that she wanted to go to nursing school. So she had two teenage daughters, Janine and Janelle, and she wanted me to homeschool them while she was in nursing school. And so I thought, well, that might be interesting. They came out there, and I was enjoying the wood-powered hot tub, kind of laying back, and they were these uh, 14-year-olds that said, I don't want to be out here. I said, fine, I'm doing just great. I don't need that. (laughs) And before the tub was over and before our walk up the hill was over, they were all in. And so they became actually the first unofficial students at Mission Creek uh, in their ninth grade year or eighth grade year. And so uh, that was the beginning. What happened uh, is my sister Nursing school was not for her. Oh, yeah. That was just a diversion for the Lord to get this thing going. And so she ended up being our teacher for the first 15 years oh, of amen. the Mission Creek Ministry. Yeah, fantastic. And so after what happened after that, John, is I went to camp meeting. And uh, at the Washington uh, camp meeting, I heard a verse in the message that was given. And that verse was 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he who has called you. Who also will will do do it. And so I came back with the impression, because I had had in the back of my mind, because Janine and Janelle planted that seed, why don't we have a school out here? And in the back of my mind, I had known that that's probably the direction God was leading. Well, when I heard that verse, it's just like when I heard the call to take Gary to Mary Galen and so forth. 
I heard the call through that verse, no excuse. I'm not faithful. I can't do anything, but I know someone who is. And so I thought, I have to do this. I don't do it. God does it. God has to do this. He's going to use me to do this. I need to do it. So I went back and we had a couple of um, children in the church, the Coonses, and also the dance, you know, these families. And so um, they uh, came to our little school. I started out at the kitchen table with Janine and Janelle. The next year, we went to the cabin and uh, we had a little guest cabin there. And uh, they, we had a, a small group. And then the next year, we had to get a yurt, oh, a really? large glorified tent. Yeah. And the we community children started coming in. So it got up to maybe 15 kids. We started serving students in the community. And so I thought, well, this is really interesting. And we continued to do this for 10 years. Then that yurt got moldy. <laughs> the equipment started going bad because we didn't think this was going to continue. My sister and I would just say every year, we're going to keep doing this. And then she would say, well, where else are we going to get a group of you know, 10, 12, 15 teenagers to do a Bible study with yeah, every that's morning right. in Amen. Bible class. And we'd say, well, well, we better keep doing it. And so then I thought, God, if you can't do better than this, and I don't think, uh, this isn't, I don't recommend threatening the Lord, but I said, I quit. If you can't help us get out of this shirt and do something else, I just can't continue to do it this way because this isn't the best thing. And then the miracles started really pouring in. You know, we've already seen a lot of miracles in this story, but they became a whole lot more intense and began happening regularly. I can only imagine when you decide you're going to start a school, you've got authorities to speak to, you've got hoops to jump through, (laughs) (laughs) which means you can lean on that faithful God who also will do it and expect to see him do great things. Back with more from Mary Nell Ellingson of Mission Creek Outreach Services. Our conversation continues in just a moment. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800-253-3000, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Welcome back to Conversations, brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Mary Nell Ellingson from Mission Creek Outreach Services, a a discipleship, Bible, medical missionary training school in southwest Washington State. Hey, a moment ago, this thing is starting to take off. You've got kids you've been studying for years, 15 students, serving the community, which makes this an amazing outreach. Uh, But things are going to expand and grow. Tell me about the challenges and how how, how God met them. Well, what happened next was we were in the quest for a facility. And so God provided some money for us to get started. 
And then we thought, well, we just need to spend this money because God's put it there. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was like $40,000. And it isn't much money to get started on a project like this. But we thought, hey, let's do what we can. Let's go ahead, put down a concrete foundation. We started with a pole structure. And so then we uh, didn't have any more money, and we weren't sure where it was going from there. And so my husband started parking the backhoe and the dump truck and all this stuff under there. And I just had a fit. I said, get this stuff out here. This is a school. He said, we might as well use it for something because it isn't really anything else. And so um, I kept praying about it. I knew God was going to do something. So he started bringing in the money. He started bringing in the money to put this building up. We had a lot of trouble. We were out off the grid, and we were not zoned for a school. We could not get, you know, it's like $50,000 for a mound system for septic and, and the water. We didn't have uh, a deep enough well. Everything was a problem with this facility. And so we knew if we were going to do anything, John, and I don't necessarily recommend this, but in this case, we knew the Lord was leading us. If we were going to do anything to have this school, we just needed to go ahead and do it. And so after we got the sheetrock on the walls, you can imagine what happened. The county called and said, I understand you have an unpermitted school going on out there. And Dale was the building inspector. And I said, Dale, we do. And you know what? I've been laying awake in bed at night, worrying and praying about this because I didn't know what to do. I said, the Lord has led us to this point, and I know we can't solve these problems. Please come and help us. Well, he came out, and he's not a Christian, so he parks his car in front of the school. And I said, Dale, before we go into school, we need to pray because if God has raised this work up, No man is going to get in the way of it, but if he hasn't, we need to be done. And so he walked in the building, and it was sheetrock on the walls. He stopped the work. He said, no, this is not going to continue. And so there was a big deal with the county, and they had eight different directors call us in and let us know that all of this stuff wasn't permitted and so it was time for us to go on our foreign mission to Iquitos, Peru. So, and we do this each year. You know, we go on um, some kind of a mission, take, you know, 15, 20 people. And so it was time to go. We just left it behind. When I got back, there was a certified letter in the box, in my mailbox, that said, if you're going to continue this project, These are the hoops you need to jump through. And they were all impossible things to do. And so we had a board meeting coming up. That I just got back on Friday. The board meeting was on Sunday. I prayed and I said, God, what are we going to do? We don't even, I, I said, I can't even do an agenda for this meeting. And you know what? He led me to uh, 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 the Ellen White Index under the cause of God. I studied that thing. I had seven pages before the board meeting of confirmation that God wanted the work to go forward. And so I took that to the board meeting. I said, this is what the county says. This is what the Lord says. This is impossible. We can't overcome these feats in our setting. And yet God has said this. And so at that time, we had a person walk into the board meeting 
who had been on our board but was kind of like a, a snowbird person. He usually is in Arizona. He showed up at the board meeting, Jim Allen, and he does an engineer for hospital systems to be able to do codes. And the violation, he understood all the violations, all these codes. He said, let me work through this process. A year and a half of victories in the Lord it took in order to get all of that mess straightened out. But the bottom line on it all, 37 recorded miracles in this mess. I mean, you would, it would take us many sequels to go into all of the details. But what God did is he did everything from grant a perpetual covenant by the logging company that was right bordering us, saying that they would never interfere with our water system, never do any logging around our area that would interfere with the functioning of Mission Creek. We don't know these people. Everything from that to my mother had passed away in the Lord, praise God. Amen. And there was this piece of jewelry in the safety deposit box that looked like it was costume jewelry. I mean, it was just this big old thing and it out of a bubblegum machine or something. And yeah. I thought, oh, I'll throw that out. And Galen said, well, we should probably just look into it. So she does funny things sometimes, but I thought this is really strange. So anyway, I took it to Winnemackie's in uh, Aberdeen and they looked at that thing and they just mouth dropped open and said, we've never seen anything come through here like this in years. They said that would be valued at $50,000. Oh, really? And that's not what we got for it because it was a marquee stone and they liked the round stones. But anyway, it was a substantial amount that uh, was created for the ministry. And then, I mean, there are untold stories about the finances. And what I have learned about the whole financial scene, whether you're giving up your job to go to the backwoods or looking for money to support a ministry, God provides, John. God makes these things happen, and they're not human devising things. And so he carried everything from the financial backing and support. And we, I can't go into all of those 37 miracles um, but he, I mean, things that you couldn't change. It was too close to the property line. It's too close to the creek. It was too close to the generator power source. Uh, nothing was right about the whole thing. <laughs> and God made it all right. Amen. And, they, and the people from the county, uh, we were told when we had the open house, they all came and celebrated, said, boy, if I'm my, we live in Olympia, but if we were here, I'd have my kids come to this school. They celebrated in the lounge every time we overcame another victory. Fantastic. Because we had educated the children that were the county commissioners' children and grandchildren. God had set that up, and they said, Mission Creek is going to happen. So it was a good thing that uh, we had developed those relationships ahead of time. And the fact that God had, he always has, he has all the foresight. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he sees it before it's going to happen. Hey, tell me, so some of the things that Mission Creek's doing today. Okay. You you mentioned mission trips. You talked about that. But I know you're involved in training medical missionaries and and treating, helping people overcome depression and so forth. Yes. So walk through some of that. Okay. We want to know what you're doing there. Okay. So we have um, a um, medical missionary 
uh, training center that is for uh, helping people with uh, lifestyle practices. And there are, it's a small work. There's always a small work with intensity, the way that we do things. It's not big numbers. It's a small numbers of people that come into our setting and they go through, um, we do a 14-day program for Tools for Overcoming Depression. And we treat that with the uh, simple things, claiming Bible promises and believing that those Bible promises are actually going to become real. Mm-hmm. And they do for those people. And using the techniques that we understand about overcoming depression with diet and exercise and uh, massage and hydrotherapy, a lot of the same things we use in the lifestyle practice. Yeah. But we also do like cognitive behavior therapy with uh, our people with the depression, have, giving them another look at life uh, with how do you see things in a negative light and then begin to see the truth as it is in Jesus mm. through a positive circumstance. And so we do these practices, and they're set up on the schedule from 6 a.m. until 9 p.m. with everything from, you know, uh, cognitive coaching around the um, uh, issues of depression to um, help with coaching with lifestyle practices. And so, um, so we run two different sessions. One is for lifestyle practices. One is for overcoming depression. There's a lot of similarity, sure, but then sure there's there some fo- more focus on the yeah. anxiety depression piece yep. for the latter part. And then uh, the other piece that we're doing is a Bible worker training program. Um, and we have uh, Chris Donovan is our um, uh pastor that works with that program, and his wife is a nurse, and she works with our uh, Lifestyle Retreat Center, Heidi. And then Judy Dan is an ARMP. She works with our Lifestyle Retreat um, Center piece. The um, the program that we're doing with our, um, with our Bible workers is centered on showing people Jesus then when they can see Jesus serving Jesus and then teaching them to then serve and disciple people by multiplying the, the uh, opportunities for people to create disciples in Jesus. And so we're excited about, we have, we just got a new student just brand new out of high school, brand new Adventist, just went with our team to GYC Northwest and is very excited to be a part of our work. So we do the uh, full intensive five-month program, uh, full day. We do it in the evening. We have a um, person that's fairly new to our church that now is working with the jail ministry that is a part of our community and is working in the evenings with the program. And then we're going to do an intensive summer program. So we're trying to hit it in three different phases so that we can get the people where they are and work with them one-on-one. One of the things I love about what you're telling me is that what you did was respond to God's call. Yes. You, 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 you didn't 
plan to build the Taj Mahal and become the biggest. No. no. You thought we no. need to be what God has called us to exactly. be where we are. And small doesn't mean insignificant. Exactly. Uh, what you're doing is is playing to your strengths and ministering to the people right where you are. Yes. And what I, one other thing I like too is what you're talking about is replicable. This yes. is the sort of thing that someone can do if God is if God is if God is calling exactly. him to do in in any other part of the world, any other part of the country. Exactly. So, but but the but the miracles you've seen and the, the steps of faith. What would you say to somebody? They God God has been talking to them forever about going overseas and becoming yes. a foreign missionary, yes. or he's he's encouraging that person to be a literature evangelist, which is often a, a real step of faith, or he's encouraging that person to go and train for the ministry and, and go to college for four years. But it's like, oh, what about my job? Yeah. What about my family? What about my this or that? You've gone through all of those considerations. And today at Mission Creek, you're doing something fantastic and successful. How would you coach or advise or talk someone through this idea of how do I take this step of faith? Well, I think it comes in claiming God's promises in surrender. I think the first thing that we have to do is we have we have to say, God, your will be done, not my will. That we believe that his will is better for us than our will is for ourselves. And then the next step is to ask him to affirm that in his word. And so we know that those exceedingly great and precious promises we take part of the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world through lust. I mean, we have to believe that stuff at face value and believe that in our weakness, he is strong. So we got all these problems. That's weakness. Praise God. We need him. He's strong. So why would we back off from being back off because of our weaknesses? We can't back off because of our weaknesses. We move forward because of those because that is the rejuvenating power. The weaker we are, the more challenges that we have, the more power God has. But the key is that we recognize that weakness, not in despair, but that we recognize that weakness in power and strength, because then we realize that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us, if verses 11 and 12 are true of Philippians, which tells us, that we must be content in whatever situation God puts us in. Mm. So that we can't use the circumstances of life and the lack of contentment to be a problem. It's a stepping stone, not a stumbling block, and it moves us and propels us forward in faith. God does amazing and miraculous things this way, and we have to test Him. And if we don't put our faith in the faith water, we can't test that. But he always comes through when we do it. And if we're doing things on, in our own power, we don't, we don't need faith for that, right? That's right. That's 100% right. We've got about two minutes. I want you to talk about where you see God taking Mission Creek next and, and what would you like to see happen if you were to go to God with not just your plans but your dreams. Okay. So where I see Mission Creek going is we're going to start up our boarding school, which we ran, we've been running since we got the new school uh, back next year. We didn't do boarding this year. We did homeschool extension and then worked with our kids 
uh, in full time. We're working with our community kids full time now. We're going to restart our boarding next year, and we're going to continue to move forward in our immersed program with our Bible worker and with our um, with our health ministry. If I were to uh, have my dreams, what I would like to see is for other people to get a vision. I'm not thinking that Mission Creek is ever going to just have 500 people out there. We were started with an individual ministry, and we are intent and intense on helping people holistically. That was our call in education. It's our call in, in mission, all of our missionary work. Right. And so as we help these people holistically, I really would like to see this model duplicated across the country because people have to believe that with small beginnings that God has big dreams. And big dreams don't necessarily come in big numbers. But the other thing I would like to happen is I would like to, for people to uh, know that there is a place that you can come to without excuse. If you don't have money, you can still come to Mission Creek and get into our ministry for help, get into our Bible worker program. We always can have people sponsor. We go to churches, ask people to help. They're always willing to do that. That's not a reason not to come to Mission Creek. We want people there that God sends there. That's our only need is to serve the people that God calls us to serve and to be able to do that for as many as much people as we possibly can. And real quickly, the kind of training people can get, just let's go. Bible worker training? Yes. Keep going. Okay. Bible worker, medical missionary. Medical missionary training. And uh, health evangelism and education. Education. That's right. You're doing an awful lot. And God placed it on your heart. He's, He's doing it through you. He's worked miracles. And we are expecting many more miracles to come. Mary Nell, thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you, John. And God bless you and Mission Creek Outreach Services. Thank you. And thank you. What a blessing that you've been part of this. I look forward to seeing you again. She is Mary Nell Ellingson from Mission Creek Outreach Services. I'm John Bradshaw, and this has been our conversation. Mm -hmm. 